It's Friday morning, everyone. Welcome to Kafaru Cast. I'm riding solo today. I want everybody to know Frank has already injured himself doing CrossFit, which I find very funny. We may cover that in this podcast today. He dropped a kettlebell on his toe, which I believe he deserves. Uh, but today we have a guy who probably doesn't know this. I've followed along for many years, kind of um, a legend, in my opinion, in, in the bow hunting world. Uh, that's Kurt Wells, the uh, editor and host uh, over at Bowhunter Magazine, host the TV show. And uh, man, it's an honor to get you on here. I really appreciate you doing it last minute. Oh, no problem. I, uh, I, I've, I've known who you were. I've never talked to you. Um, I've known who you were for quite some time, but you've been involved with uh, Bowhunter for how long, a long time? How long? Uh, well, I sold him my first article in 1984. MR Games about an article that I wrote on my first elk hunt where I made a whole laundry list of mistakes. So I, I wrote the article and basically laid out the mistakes I made as a rookie elk hunter. And uh, he bought that. And uh, I just kept sending articles and they kept sending me checks. Well, that's good. <laughs> How? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've I've listened to a couple po- podcasts. You well, no, actually, one you did one with Pope and Young. I listened to, um, and so I've got a few of my own questions for my own, uh, uh, I guess, selfishness. Um, since you've been in the industry so long, before we kind of get in the meat and potatoes of the cool stuff, as far as hunting stories and things like that, I man, one of my main questions for you is. As far as the changes in the industry from, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you'd mentioned on the, the Pope and Young um, podcast, like that, you know, Prince still doing well, um, you know, how social media has changed, what, you know, kind of the, um, the whole outlook, good and bad from what social media has done, as well as, um Maybe the, you know, the fitness craze. I don't know. you. I never really see you cover that. Um, you know, kind of what you think about all of those different things, not to feed you with the fire hose out of the gate, but, man, what, what do you think? <laughs> what has changed the most would be the first question uh, in the last 20 years, would you say, um, as far as both the, in, in print, TV, and um, just the, the digital media, uh, social media portion? Well, obviously, the Internet has revolutionized everything on the planet, pretty much. Um, If you have a smartphone, you have the knowledge of mankind in that phone. I mean, there's nothing you can't find on the Internet. There's no information you can't find or how to do something. And uh, so that's revolutionized everything. It's revolutionized writing, revolutionized research for writing and research for hunting and all that stuff. Social media has been an offshoot of that, which, you know, has its good things and has plenty of bad things. And uh, it's it's sort of designed to uh, capture the attention of people, especially our youth, you know, when they should be outside. You can drive down street now, and back in the day, you'd see all kinds of kids out playing games or playing ball or something. And uh, now you don't, you can't find a kid even riding a bike hardly. And that's because they're in the house on that screen. So it's had a negative effect there. And of course, it's had an impact on the media industry and uh, print in particular. It's had an impact on that. 
And, you know, we're seeing some manufacturers and advertisers that have gone to social media and, you know, they're shoveling dirt on print and uh, it's not working out for them that well. You know, I mean, they, they, they get a lot of impressions, a lot of eyeballs, but they're not really hitting the right demographic in a lot of cases. A lot of these young kids nowadays, you know, they can't buy $1,000 worth of camouflage or go on any expensive hunts and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not necessarily getting the people they want, but it's free, basically. They can have their pro staff do posts on social media and they don't have to buy ads from a magazine or sponsor a TV show. So that's having an impact, but we are starting to see some drift back now from people that are figuring out it's not moving the needle. So, you know, it's subscribers are down from what they were traditionally. So, uh, we're left with a bunch of dedicated guys that still get the magazine, still like to have a print magazine. So, yeah, it's had a big impact. What do you think, uh, I guess looking at it, because I use social media for marketing heavily, and I would say, I would argue with you a little bit on the, if it's done correctly, um, it will work in some ways, but you definitely have to, uh, uh, it can backfire on you. You know what I mean? Especially if you go hardline uh print ads hardline uh tv and then just quit cold turkey and go straight to try and uh using social media if you don't already have a following it takes a long time to build that following um and so you're starting over and it i've seen it in you know i to have the total package, it seems like anymore, you kind of got to have everything. You got to have a little, a little, you got to have some print, you got to have be on TV or some anyway. Um, and, you know, social media as well. It's, it's hard to, if you didn't start in the social media side of things, it's hard to go straight to it and, and have it be successful from what I've seen from the outside kind of looking in. And I think that's kind of what you were touching on is, is maybe some of these different companies just kind of dropped cold turkey somewhat of their their budget and marketing that was going into the print side and went to the social media side but it, it didn't pan out for them is that kind of what you're getting at it seemed like right and the same thing happened with uh, uh television we had some companies that cut all print and went straight to television and within a few years they were back back in print and they didn't abandon television but and you need them all and the company that i work for that owns bohunter outdoor sportsman's group they uh they have everything you know every possible media you can imagine as far as uh social media and websites and and television and all that so you're right about that you can't forsake one or the other you have to keep uh keep it going and and you know as well as i do that in this world that we live in uh credibility is everything and so when you uh have a medium like social media where anybody can get on there and say whatever they want and a lot of times they're hiding under the cloak of anonymity they can say anything they want and there's nobody there to contest them or, or nobody can really call them a liar or, or i mean obviously you get called liar all the time but uh, you know, it's about building credibility. So 
that takes time and and you have to do that through all different sorts of media. No, for sure. And I would say a very good example, um, kind of what we're talking about is uh, if you've got a, well, I don't know, um, I'd have to go to your social media page, but I would I would take a guess you're, you're under a thousand followers. Um, I have no idea, but I, I can go look. Um, how many followers do you have, Kurt, on Instagram? On Instagram, yeah, about five. About 600, somewhere in there. All right, so I'm going to poke fun here for a minute. The great Kurt Wells, who's done more for the industry than probably a 100 different uh, social media stars that I can think of, has <laughs> 500 and some followers. Yeah. And then you take, I don't want to bring up any names, but other people that have maybe shot a grouse um, or two have 70 to 120,000 followers arguably have more power than someone like Kurt Wells on social media because of their followers, not of their experience. And I have a huge issue with that personally. And I've, I've said, I've gotten on a, you know, that, that I'm a bit of a hater for saying that or whatever you call it these days. But the bottom line is we're for me in the outdoor industry, uh, we're hunters and the, um, it is great for people to get other people into the outdoor industry with their following, but when it comes to um, information, uh, tech tips, things like that, uh, someone like yourself has been doing this for, well, not quite as long as I've been alive, but quite a while. Um, because you don't have that social media following, your word is not that strong on social media, and I understand it, but I have an issue with it. Um, what do you kind of think about that? Well, you know, a lot of that depends on how hard you work to build that. You know, some people uh, will uh, work. You know, I've heard of people going to job applications and having the interviewer ask them how many friends they have on Facebook, you know, as, as if that's some kind of a measure. And uh, uh, if you really pursue it, meet the right people, and uh, get some big time celebrity or something to uh, mention you. You can you can pump those things up pretty fast. And you know some companies you can actually buy. There are ways you can buy likes. So I mean, it, it's, some of the credibility is shot right there when you understand how it all works. But uh, I you know I just haven't pursued it. I don't go on there and find all kinds of people to follow and like and all that other kind of stuff but um maybe i'm a little too old school who knows well i mean i i <laughs> believe me i have guides and outfitters and buddies that make fun of social media who have you know been on 150 to 300 sheep hunts that really everyone should be listening to and no one's going to because they haven't pursued it and it, it's not important to them but kind of what i'm just getting at is is um you know, there's got to be a happy medium. I don't mean to be a hater about this, but, you know, someone like yourself, um, newcomers into the sport would click by your page like you're a nobody. But you are 100 yeah. percent of somebody and you have done a shitload. Oh, sorry. I, I shouldn't have dropped the S word. <laughs> You've done a lot for the outdoor industry as well as the bow hunting community. Um, and not somebody should be skipped over because you only have 527 followers. Um well, like you said, well, well, I mean, it, it is an idea uh, of what you're. I mean, you you are the editor of Bow Hunter and uh, the host of the TV show. 
Um, but not only that, I mean, you've been hunting since what, 1980? How long have you been hunting for? 1981 is when uh, my brother-in-law uh, killed a buck with a bow, and I was 26 years old, and I thought, man, if he can do it, I can do it. So I went down and started reading magazines and found the white shoe. That's how I, how I started my relationship with him, just by reading his articles. And, and uh, pretty soon I ordered a bow and a uh, Jennings T-Star. Oh, I, uh, old school there, was, buddy. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, the sports shop that I ordered it from, I got together with the guy that owned it, and we or got an organizational meeting for an archery club in town. So I was basically starting an archery club, and I didn't even have my bow yet. So that tells you how much I knew I was going to like it, and that kind of got things started there. So it's been however many years that is, 37, 38 years. Yeah, about, because um, I'm 42 and uh, was born in 77, so I was, um, I guess, three or four when you got it all kicked off. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it uh, what do you kind of see as far as, um, you know, the direction of, uh, you know, Bowhunter Magazine going? Has it, has any of this stuff, has podcasts, has the kind of downturn in, in maybe television or it seems, I mean, you, you've got a bigger opinion on that than I do. It seems like TV's kind of, uh, print seems to be doing fairly well and TV's kind of gone downhill a little bit. Um, are you guys uh, shifting fire on anything as far as like your, um, you know, kind of order of march from from here forward uh, with you know Bowhunter Magazine and the TV show? Well, there's a you know um, there's a, a push for a lot of streaming and stuff now, you know, and uh, I think that's where a lot of it is starting to go uh, as far as the TV show. And uh, I have people way above me that make those kind of decisions. I just tell them I'm president of the Bowhunter Magazine killing department, and I'll just go take care of that. That is a very good position. Out the rest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, so there's people trying to figure that out, how that works. And uh, um, as far as the magazine goes, we're staying true to our... Uh, the bow hunter way, I guess you could call it. And, and, you know, every, every magazine has its niche and, and the same with TV shows. We don't try to be funny. We don't try to uh, do anything other than to help people become a better bow hunter. And we focus on adventure, destinations, tactics, you know, decoying, whatever that can help you uh, fill your tags. And, and we're kind of sticking with that. Gotcha. Now, are you guys looking at doing any type of uh, potentially a podcast or anything like that in the future? Has that been brought up or is this all stuff I shouldn't even be asking you? Oh, no, there's people thinking about that kind of thing. And, you know, in, in some cases, there's uh, uh podcast is probably a, a something that we need to look at pretty serious. You know, there's some things that it gets to be a glut of things like uh, the TV shows. That's what's happened. The television is there's a bunch of networks now where i mean used to be the only thing you could do is watch tom miranda on espn on a saturday afternoon but uh now it's everywhere and so there's a lot of tv shows out there 
and everybody's trying to survive and do the best they can. But it's kind of curious, you know, going back to the subject before, if somebody called me a TV hunter, I'd take that as an insult because I was hunting long before TV came along. So I'm a bow hunter that happens to have a cameraman behind him. But uh, it's it goes back to the credibility thing and what you can do and what you get accomplished and how you present it to the public. So now there's so many different ways of presenting that. But somebody still has to be out there creating the content. Uh, you got to be out there figuring out uh, where to hunt, how to hunt, and those kind of things. So it's uh, it's just a debate on how that's all going to be presented. And podcasts were good for that. People can sit and listen to all different kinds of experts. And, and a lot of times you can weed out the pretenders, I call them, and... Uh, listen to people that actually been there, done that. Right, yeah. You definitely, there's been an overwhelming, I mean, uh, when I talk about drinking through a fire hose, I mean, the a podcast is something anyone basically can, can start up, whether you've done nothing but kill time or you've, you know, killed your super slam. I mean, you can start a podcast. Um, you know, I think the, the cream rises to the top to a certain degree, but, you know, one of the things I'd really like to see, um, and I'll probably be pestering you more about it, is, you know, getting three or four guys like yourself, um, you know, Danny Ferris is a guy we just had on, um, you know, get, getting multiple different guys, multiple outfitters, and just talk about hunting, the trials and tribulations, what they've learned, tactics, and it's hard to find that... Um, with seasoned guys, mostly because you guys just don't give a sh- crap. You you you've got your <laughs> stuff you're doing, and it's hard to get you all on at one time because you're established in the industry. You've got a busy schedule, um, and so being that it is hard to find, it is it is something that is nice to have occasionally, um, just because of the wealth of knowledge that that everyone be bringing to the table from years and years of experience. And you know, I, I I've gotten to hunt a lot, but I'm still you know, I'm I'm only 42, and 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 I'm still constantly learning, and so you know, I'm generally, um, you know, I may not take advice, let's say, from someone on elk hunting, but I might take advice. I'll be all ears. I'm not a great whitetail hunter. I've I've shot several, but it's because I've been getting been putting good spots from guys like you, like go sit in this tree, dummy, and, you know, shoot it when it walks by. Trying to get um, good quality info out on actually hunting can be difficult, and, and but you do get a lot of other stuff, which kind of leads me to where I'm talking about now is, what do you kind of think of the fitness craze um, that, that's kind of taken over for the last couple years? Is that something... I'm kind of a guy that says, you know, you should probably just throw your back pack on, learn some field craft while you're hiking around and, you know, quit bench pressing and actually learn what animals do. But I get, you know, I'm a gym guy too, but I get, I get bashed for that. Um, what do you think about that? Well, since I'm going to be 65 next week or next month, um, I don't do the things I used to do. You know, I don't run and I don't, uh, I don't, uh, ride a mountain bike because, if you crash on a mountain bike and your landing zone is your shoulder, so that's the end of that business. But uh, I do more practical things. I'll put 60 pounds of sand in a, in my backpack and just take off and find some hills and hike around as much as I can to exactly simulate what I'll be doing in the field. I'll carry a dumbbell and 
one hand like it's my bow and switch around and that kind of thing. And, you know, it's obviously you can't be in too good a shape to go on a hunting trip. I mean, it's not really possible. But I've talked to many of the guides that I've hunted with who have had some marathon runner or some uh, fitness fanatic come into camp and they have just walked them into the ground and had them whimpering by the end of the hunt. And the reason for that is mental strength. And uh, I think that's as important or more important uh, when you're out hunting. Uh, If you, like, for example, if you're on a mountain goat hunt and you're glassing for a good billy, and you find one that you can get to, and the guide says, we can be there in five and a half hours. And you know in your heart that the chances of that goat still being there in five and a half hours aren't really that good. But you go anyway, because that is what you do. And if you have the mental toughness, the mental strength to make that hike, knowing how low percentage it is, that's as valuable as how good a shape you're in. And, I mean, you obviously can't go up there on that type of a hunt and be 50 pounds overweight. But I've seen some people who were, you would be amazed. There was a guy in Alaska by the name of Roy Roth. And uh, you wouldn't think, if you uh, if you met him on the street, you would say, I could walk that boy in the dirt. Well, he would be in for a serious surprise because he would kill you. So uh, you don't always know, but like I said, you know, being in shape, good shape is always good. Yeah, there's definitely, um, I kind of refer to it as you, you really want the total package. You know, if you work construction and you're, you know, you're missing a drill gun, um, you know, you may have the best um, tools in the world except a drill gun and you're going to be in trouble without that drill gun. You got to have it. So animal behavior, um, field craft, just woodsmanship in general, physical fitness, you, you definitely need to have it all or at least strive towards that and don't get too cornholed in uh, just one or, or, or the other. And, and, and the fitness thing, I I'm, I go to the gym, I do push-ups and, you know, curls or whatever, but I, I really focus on backpack cardio because I always have a, a pack on and I, I push for people to do that because your ankles, um, you know, especially when you're doing off cambered, um, like ascents or descents, your body, if you're not used to having that pack on your hips, as well as your ankles and your shins, and I'm, I'm not a doctor, but all the different parts and pieces, you've got to get used to more than just flat walking or climbing a stair stepper, you got to get loose to ag- used to aggressive terrain with a pack on. And so I really stress for people to, you know, if you run, that's great, but also train with some some relatively heavy weight with the, the pack. Um, I mean, you over time, I mean, I would imagine you've always just stayed in decent physical fitness shape and never went too crazy on anything. But I mean, did you always just kind of bike, run, hike, just do the normal stuff? over time well yeah i mean i've always had good lungs good legs and uh and a good heart and those kind of things that i've never had problems i've never had joint problems or anything like that and uh, i've had a strong back but you have to be a little careful i mean you know, i once put half a spike elk on my back and and packed it out and my back wasn't right for a while after that but 
yeah, you have to use your common sense and you have to hunt smart. You have to learn how to conserve energy, go hard when you need to and uh, back off when you don't. And, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, keeping your weight down, it gets tougher every year, but I've always had my elk hunting weight. I always figured I'm six, five and I always tried to get down to my elk hunting weight that I was at in 1981, which was 208. And now I can get down to, you know, by the time elk season shows up, I can get down to 210, 215, but it gets harder and harder at the older you get. So, but I'm still getting close enough where uh, it helps me greatly. And one thing people don't realize is if you lose 16, 17 pounds, that's a bowling ball in your pack. So uh, you just got to look at it that way. 15, 16 pounds, you don't have to carry around. If you can get that much weight off before you go on a hunt, you're going to be, you know, it's easier on joints and everything. It's easier on everything. Yeah, this has been brought up in many different podcasts where, I, you know, because I get a lot of technical questions um, on gear and guys will obsess about, you know, an ounce here, an ounce there, which is good. You know, you always want to be cognizant of what's going in your pack and the weight of it, but they'll stress so much on that, but they need to lose 40 to 50 pounds and they don't stress yeah. on the 40 to 50 pounds they need to drop off their ass. And, and I'm like, hey, look, you need, you need to... You know, Focus yeah. on all of it, you know. It's it's all very very important, and it's good for just general lifestyle, you know, day to day. Uh, you know, the more yeah. fit you can stay in, or more sh- better shape you can stay in. Um, right, right. So as far as um, uh, like on the the bow hunter magazine side of things, um, mostly just I, with my busy schedule, I read one occasionally. Uh, you know, we get them here at Kafaru. Um, what do you guys kind of focus, has anything, have you guys stayed pretty much the same or is your focus in the magazine as far as whether it be, um, uh, you know, tech tips and gear, uh, more hunting stories from, um, you know, different, uh, I guess, uh, readers that send them in. I mean, have you guys changed much of that and kind of how's the layout of the magazine in general from, from month to month? Yeah, well, like I mentioned earlier, we kind of have our own niche. Uh, our sister publication is Peterson's Boring, and their niche is uh, tech, uh, gear, and uh, tuning, and testing, and that kind of thing. But uh, our niche is, I mean, we don't want the two magazines to be the same, and our niche has always been adventure stories. Um, we do have a gear special, which we're working on right now, and then our July is our DIY special, uh, which this year will have some tributes to our late editor, Dwight Shue. And then August is our big game special. So that's kind of my favorite issue of the year and one that a lot of people seem to really gravitate to. And, and I'll have uh, articles from some big-time bow hunters that have been there and done that. Frank Noska completed a second. Uh, super slam archery super slam so he's writing a feature for us on that and uh, there's uh, all kinds of articles in there and those can stretch from Azerbaijan to uh, Arkansas just depends on on what what I come up with through the year and then we started getting into September and, and elk and antelope and then we drift drift into the whitetail October and November and 
And, of course, the vast majority of our readers are whitetail hunters, but a lot of them travel to hunt, and they're interested in what's going on in Colorado or Arizona and, and for elk. And so uh, we try to keep abreast of what's going on there. So we really haven't changed much. Uh, we still like to have uh, readers send in stories, and, you know, that's why I approached you to to uh, send in a story. Uh, sometimes the guy will have a really good adventure, and uh, and and your excellent photography is going to help you. That's what I deal with on a daily basis is poor photography. So a guy will send me in a good story, but it will be terrible photos, and there's just nothing I can do with it. I can fix his words, but I can't fix his photos. And nowadays, everybody thinks a cell phone is good enough, and it's not. Uh, primarily because the flash is so terrible. And just about every kill photo I take or whatever kill photo you see Danny Ferris take, uh, a flash is involved. And uh, it makes everything, fills in shadows, makes colors pop, makes a photo sharper. And uh, I hardly ever take a kill photo anymore without a major flash. So I'm always trying to get people to do a better job on their photos. Even the little uh, point-and-shoot cameras have a much better flash than a cell phone does, and they're only about the size of a pack of cigarettes, so everybody should have one in their pack. You may not think you're an outdoor writer, or you may not plan to be an outdoor writer, but all of a sudden you're one of these guys that comes upon a world-class animal by accident or whatever, and you kill them you might want to suddenly be an outdoor writer. So it's always good to have great photos. Yeah. And that's especially important too now because, you know, years ago, uh, you'd go to a banquet or a Pope and Young convention and everybody would have, you know, four or five uh, prints in their pocket to show around. Now your entire hunting life is in your phone. So you want those to be good photos because you're showing them way more than you used to. They're a lot more valuable to you and a lot more useful. So you want to have great photos. And, and I tell every guide or anybody I work hunt with, cameraman, if we make a kill, it's going to be an hour and a half to two hours to get photos. Yeah, yeah. There's a big controversy now. I don't know about controversy about, I don't know, some of the newer, I don't whatever, that trophy <laughs> grip and grins are bad. Um I've kind of made jokes about it just because you don't win the, uh, you know, NBA championship and not take a photo with uh, the trophy at the end. I think it needs to be a presentable photo, but, and you definitely need to tell the story from beginning to end. I mean, I drive people crazy on a hunt when I'm the photographer because, you know, I'll, I'll roll out, you know, 1,500 photos a day um, at a minimum, but I think it's important. You, you can't have the full story. Uh, uh, without the kill photo in the end, without the trophy photo. I mean, you know, you don't want just the trophy photo at the end. You you want you also want, you know, the buildup. But I like taking photos, and, and it's part of it to to, to tell that story, um, including after when you're breaking it down and the pack out, like, you know, the suffer fest, all of that needs to be to be told, it, I mean, in my opinion, I mean, to, to tell the story correctly. And you're stopping time with a photo. And if you can stop time with a, a very high-quality, high-resolution 
you know, photo and add text to it, it, it just, you know, adds to the enjoyment of the person looking at it. So it, it's very important to me. Um, but I'm a photography geek, so I'm, I'm going to find it more important, I guess. Right. And you need more than, like you say, we need more than just kill photos. You know, I'll get an article from somebody that uh, he's got two prints in the back of a pickup and one of them's out of focus. And, you know, what am I supposed to do with that? And, and Or I'll get a story where the guy has nothing but uh, 17 kill photos. I need more than that. I need the uh, trail camera images that have saved us from time to time. But, uh, you know, they'll, I'll, they'll send me a scenery photo, which is worthless to me. I got to have either an animal or a bow hunter in that scenery. If there's not, nothing in there, it could be taken anywhere by anyone. It doesn't mean anything to the story. So you have to have, you have to go there and stand in the scenery in the photo and glass or call, bugle, whatever you got to do to add something, a point of interest to the photo and then take photos around camp and all the other stuff because you're never going to get that moment back ever. So uh, you have to you have to try to stop, and that's what Dwight Shue would always do: is carry a pouch on the side of his pack with a point and shoot. Instead of digging a big camera out of his pack, he could just quickly open it and take photos. And uh, it wasn't a hassle. It's like uh, using a uh, hydration bladder instead of a water bottle. If it's a hassle, you won't drink. You know, you know, you won't pull that bottle out. So. Yep. Well, I've always found hydration bladders to be better. Right. No, I mean, that makes total, total sense. And I mean, honestly, on the photography side, a, a good example, like a Sony RX100, which is, yeah, the size of a wallet or, or whatever. Um, you know, it's 24 megapixel camera. You can shoot in RAW, so you can... Even though you may not be able to adjust it, um, the the uh, per- person on the other end you're sending it to can edit the photo in Lightroom or whatever they may need to do. Um, and that's just a little point and shooting you can put in your pocket. So I, I strongly encourage for everybody to have a camera on them all the time. And, and like you said, you may not be an outdoor writer, but you might walk into an amazing animal or an amazing story with your dad or some hunt that you may not have thought was important until the end of it and you want people to hear about it. And, and if you don't have the photos to go along with it, then, well, you don't have a story to tell, uh, at least in print. So, Yeah, and, and we pay for the our articles that we buy from, from hunters. We've had wealthy hunters that have shot a sheep and said, I don't want to be paid. No, you're getting paid. Whether you like it or not, you're getting a check, a contract and a check. You can donate it to Pope and Young, whatever you want to do, but you're getting paid. And the same goes with every other writer that we buy a story from. But a guy will go on to a message board, show all of his photos and tell the whole story, and then do it for free, and then come to me and want to sell me the story. Well, I'm not going to buy a story that's already been all over the planet. So he just gave it away for nothing so if you you know if you're interested in making some money on your article or if you kill a big deer you know a lot of people have a misconception of how much a big deer is worth but uh and how much they'll get paid for it but unless it's a world record you're not gonna get rich that's for sure no no i yeah definitely 
Well, man, do you have, um, I've got to hit a meeting here in a few minutes. Um, where can people kind of follow along if you want them to follow along with what you're doing and, uh, you know, as well talk about maybe the TV show when they can watch that as, as well as, uh, uh, get a subscription to the magazine. Well, you can find out just about everything you need on, uh, com, And, uh, if you want to help me pump up my Instagram deal, make me so I don't look so bad and make my bosses happy. It's kurt.wells.bowhunter on, on Instagram. And then, of course, we have our Facebook page, Bowhunter Magazine, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I guess it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know how I got this job. And, in fact, on week ago, week from tomorrow, I leave for Hungary on a uh, roe deer and uh, Russian boar hunt. And, and the things I get to do, I'm just so grateful for because of this job and i'm still waiting for the phone call for somebody to say no oh, man we screwed up it was the other kurt wells and uh so i'm grateful to everybody out there that's a reader or a viewer uh, of our publication and our television show and uh we can always use the support we appreciate it Cool. Well, man, I really appreciate you uh, hopping on here and, and uh, BSing with me for a little bit and uh, appreciate everything you've done in the in the industry and for the industry as well. Okay, and I expect a feature article from you plus photos uh, sometime in the next two to three months. <laughs> You're, uh, you and a lot of other people, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> I'm busy, but I'll, I'll try, man. I promise I'll, I'll try. Um, I'll hound uh, you like a wolverine. Yeah, <laughs> you and a lot of other people. I'll uh, I'll touch base with you on the phone here in the next few days and see uh, which one you might want. I actually did write one uh, on my 2018 season, um, just each hunt play by play. I don't know, you might want that one, but it's it's word heavy and photo heavy as you can imagine, so it's probably too big. But uh, but I, I appreciate you reaching out to me about um, you know articles. I do get to go on a lot of very cool adventures and a lot of you know, 10, 12, 14 day backpack hunts, which are always a, a great story to tell when you're getting your butt kicked back there. So I'll try, man. Yeah. I promise. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for the call and uh, good luck uh, in your upcoming, upcoming hunting trips. I know you got quite a few planned already. I listened to Danny first podcast and, and so I know you got a lot going on. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. I will keep you posted and I'll talk to you soon enough. Thanks again. All right. See you. Bye-bye.